in 300 meters, just past the reindeer. Take a left at the valley and happy holidays. I woke up this morning, had a burning deep inside. Like when you're feeling, it's all a big lie. Well, here it is, guys. The end of the year, the end of 2015. Welcome to Left of the Valley, the last show of the season. Welcome to all. Hey, guys, how you doing? Good, thank you. Doing great. I can't believe it's the last show of the season. Where did the year go? I know. Joining me as usual is my partner in crime, the matriarch of history, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> we have the unforgettable Connie with us. Thank you. And... Live in studio for the very first time, we have our friend the Reform from Jillowag. How you doing, buddy? Hello, I'm doing fine, thank you. Awesome. We got a great show for you guys today, and uh, we'll uh, be do- going through a whole bunch of things like this here and there, and hopefully we'll have set up for the great next year. So we're here celebrating today Christmas special, filling our face with good food, including some R2-D2 cookies. That's right, R2. We're here eating cookies, and they're shaped just like you. Actually, I just happened to uh, walk around, and I found these cookies at a mall called uh, Darth Mall. (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah. Well, we got to start the show by talking about this phenomenon that is Star Wars. Guys, have you seen the new movie yet? No, waiting for you to tell us all about it. Oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna reveal the spoilers on that because I think a lot of people will just kill me. Yeah. But uh, I was just impressed by how people are talking more about this movie than they are talking about Christmas right now, and <laughs> that just shows the power of uh, the myth of Star Wars in our popular culture. I know. I think the uh, the lineup at the movies was probably more than the lineup at Walmart at 6 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess kudos for. Uh, for Disney, that actually acquired the uh, the rights to Star Wars, and they just, pardon my French, they just, you know, advertised that crap out of it. It's just everywhere. Well, I mean, J.J. Abrams was the is the director and producer, right? So, I mean, that guy is phenomenal. I mean, what he did with the Star Trek movies, it had to be good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know what? I will tell you guys, it is a very good movie. I'm not going to reveal anything. And... Uh, at the end there, they've kind of left that there's going to be more than just that one. It stands on its own, obviously, but there's going to be a continuation. They're, they're just going to keep going with this. Cool. So That's good. It gives people a lot of entertainment. It certainly keeps a lot of people working. Um, the You can jump into the movies, I guess, any any place you want to, whether you've seen the, the past ones or not. So it's, uh, it, it's great. I'd, I'd rather go to a movie and have that kind of experience than go to the mall and buy a bunch of crap I don't need, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'll even say, I'll even say for, my, for my, uh, my own personal opinion, it also almost redeems the first three movies that a lot of people don't like. Uh, it, it's actually well done. A lot of winks. To the uh, original trilogy, a lot of it, and uh, everybody's just loving it. And the critic, the critics are great. And I'm surprised how 
usually when a movie comes out like this, you know, and now it's been the the, the theater for a, a couple of days, um, people are already talking about it. They're revealing the spoilers, and you can just read online and stuff like that. Hey, but I'm not hearing anything like that. It's like people are just being, you know, playing ball and saying, Shh, "Mom, mom's the word," and you know, you want to know, go see it yourself. So, anything else you guys want to talk about about your Christmas shopping? Anything like that? I'm done. You're done. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I usually like to honor the age-old tradition of waiting till the 23rd to start shopping, then toss myself in the Canadian Tire and buy everything for everybody. But this year, I actually went ahead of the curb and I actually got my shopping done too, including a plate, of, a pair of license plate covers that I wrote. I wrote uh, well, I had the guy engraved on it, Live Free Atheist. But to my, <laughs> I just found out this morning that they don't fit on my Jeep. So, <laughs> oh well. <laughs> so when are you trading in the Jeep? <laughs> well, I think I'm just going to have to go get some more done. And, uh, uh, you know, if they don't fit on your car, well, you know what? We might just give them out as a prize for the audience. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that, that should be pretty cool. Okay, let's move on. Okay, I guess, Nancy, it's your call. It's your go. All right, here we go. It's this day in history, and we know that it is a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the dates between... December the 7th and December the 20th. So starting with December the 7th, um, I think everybody knows that that's National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day in the U.S. when Japan launched a surprise military strike on the American naval base at um, Pearl Harbor and drew the U.S. into immediate war with uh, all the Axis powers, primarily Japan, Germany, and Italy. December the 8th is Constitution Day in Uzbekistan, I just wanted to put that in because it's fun to say Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan. Yeah. Um, in 2013, on, on December the 8th, the humanist community at Harvard um, announced the fact, well, actually the governor announced the fact that it was um, Humanist Community Day. And it was uh, a day that was um, uh, throughout the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and it was in conjunction with the opening of the Humanist Hub. And um, the nice thing about it is it's continued. So for the last two years, there's been um, Humanist Community Day, and it has actually spread in, in different different places. Um, one of the, the really nice things that came out of it this year is that a young lady whose name is Sasha Sagan, and we all know who she is. She's the, the daughter of, of Carl uh, Sagan. Why did I do Sagan? I haven't the slightest idea. Anyway, uh, she gave a really good um, definition of humanism. I like it. it. It's very different. And she said that humanism is the spine-tingling chill that you get when you get a sense of your place in the universe. Oh, Yeah, that's I nice. like that. Yeah. Which I, th- I think sums, sums things up. She has her, her father's way of turning a phrase for sure. Uh, December the 10th is Human Rights Day and International Animal Rights Day and it's also the day that Nobel Prizes are often given out. In uh, 1901 it was uh, to William Wrenchin for discovery of x-rays. In uh, 1902, um, 1903 excuse me, the Nobel Prize for Physics went to Pierre and Marie Curie, and in 1935, the Nobel Prize for Chemistry went to Marie and Pierre's daughter, Irene Jalot Curie. So it's kind of nice that um, years later, she was able to have the, the same prize. Mm-hmm. And you, don't, you don't find too many parents and, and children that no. have the Nobel, <laughs> Nobel Prize. Uh, December 11th, 
It's National Tango Day in Buenos Aires. Um, and Tango's in, nice. Yeah, that's nice. In 1931, if, um, I'm not a Canadian by birth, but I am by adoption, and I'd never heard of the Statute of Westminster. Has anybody heard of, in, in history, the Statue of Westminster? Yep, heard Actually, of it. Part of it, yeah. It, it turns out it's a fairly important one. Um, in 1931, it gave complete legislative independence to Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and Ireland, and Newfoundland, which wasn't at that part part of Canada. But it, it essentially, it um, gave the effect of making the Dominion sovereign nations and established an equal relationship between the Parliament and and the Queen, which is kind of nice. You learn something every day when yeah, you yeah, exactly. Uh, when, when you dig into history, um, it, December the 17th in 1903, the first man-powered, sustained, and controlled airplane flights were achieved by our favorite brothers, the Wright brothers. And that was at Kitty Hawk in North Carolina. And this is so cute. This is really, I love this little story. It doesn't take long. In 1919, on December the 17th, Albert Porta who was an expert seismographer and meteorologist, predicted that a conjunction of six planets would spell the end of the world. So the alignment of the planets would cause a magnetic current which would pierce the sun and thereby engulf the earth in flames. Another end of the world. Another end of the world, and as the date approached, suicides, hysteria were reported throughout the world. And, of course, everybody held their breath and exhaled because it didn't happen. So Porta, naturally his career as a meteorologist, was ruined, and he left the field and became a journalist. So, oh jeez! <laughs> so, oh, God. So, thus taking truth and journalism to an entire new, new level, yeah. Yeah. and it wasn't up a long level. <laughs> Don't people realize? You know, like you said, you aligning the planets towards the sun. Don't they realize that the, the the size of the sun compared to those planets? It's it's huge. I know. I know. Would you really think? But he was a seismographer and a meteorologist, and he still, you know, something overrode common sense when he made, made the prediction. We hear no more about Mr. Porta after. <laughs> I don't think he wrote anything of importance. Maybe even signing checks, I don't know. At any rate, on December the 17th, um, in 1979, Hollywood stuntman Stan Barrett blasted across the dry lake bed at Ca- California Edwards uh, Air Force Base in a rocket and missile-powered car. And he was the first man to travel faster than the speed of sound on land. However, it didn't set an official record because the radar scanner was acting up. So he clocked, according to his calculations, a top speed of over 739 miles per hour. Miles per hour. Wow. Exactly. That's fast. That was fast. And it wasn't official. And this was 1979. And it took to 1997 for Andy Green to officially set the mile, the land speed record at 763 miles per hour, so that's quite a, a long distance. There were um, records set, but nothing that crossed the 700 mile per hour. So congrats to, to Andy Green. That I think that still stands. You said 739 miles? 739.666 miles per hour that Barrett set. In kilometers, that gives us 1,189 kilometers. 
Oh, good for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the conversion. Yeah. Okay. December 18th is International Migrants Day. And this this correlates. It would have been nice if I could have reversed the dates, but in history, you can't can't really do that. You have to take them as they come. So going back on December the 18th to 1898, the automobile speed record was set by Count Gaston de Chasselou Lubat. L O L A U B A T. Would that be Lubat or Lubat? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I don't, Could I be the other way. Yeah, he took um, his vehicle at top speed over a one-kilometer strip during an exhibition arranged by a French magazine. Anybody want to guess what his top speed was in 1898? It was the first land speed record. Wow, 1898. I mean, it's going to be in miles per hour. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking 25 miles an hour. Close, 39. Oh. Actually, there's not there's, there's difference, but not, you know, you, yeah. you think about it. But yeah, from 39 miles an hour to 739, what a journey. <laughs> and a fast one, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> December 19th is Liberation Day in Goa. And this is really cute. In 1922, a young lady named Teresa Vaughn, who was 24 years old, confessed in court in Sheffield, England, to being married 61 times over five years in 50 cities in three countries. Oh, my God. She moved fat. I mean, you talk about a land record. This girl had a marriage marriage speed record that I don't think has been equaled. How much gold and diamond do you think she has? Oh, man. Engagement rings. Well, I I looked to see if I could find any more information on her, and I couldn't. But while I was, you know, frantically trying to find some more information, I ran across a forum that uh, where someone also asked the question, whatever happened to her and who she was. And this guy responded, and I love this response. He said, I don't know her story, but someone who was that persuasive could have been a fantastic life insurance salesman. (laughs) Actually, it seems like the obvious occupation for someone with such a well-established proclivity for rapid spousal turnover. <laughs> At least, uh, Rapid spousal turnover. <laughs> At least, hopefully, she wasn't also killing them too. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing here that says that they were disposed of. She just <laughs> ran right, <laughs> ran right through. <laughs> Everybody needs a hobby, right? <laughs> <laughs> just getting married. <laughs> oh, oh, the picture of that is just beautiful. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> uh, December the twentieth. Uh, is Sangria Day and Poet Laureate Day. So I guess you can lift a glass of sangria while reading your favorite poem. Um, and in 1699, this is, this is really interesting, Peter the Great decreed that the new year be changed from September the 1st to January 1st. And this is where you get into this different uh, war of the calendars mm. because uh, Russia was following uh, the Julian calendar, which had some Byzantine overtones and then they switched to the Gregorian so actually overnight they went from year 7402 to year 1700 
just by changing wow. the, the date. But they still had problems because they still had the religious calendars, and then they had the secular calendars, which they called the old style and the new style. But they did they did have a really wonderful celebration of New Year's the first time. It lasted six days. <laughs> so I guess so people could, could get used to the switchover. Anyway, um, December the 20th was a sad day because on that day we also lost um, Carl Sagan. Mm, yes, sad and, indeed. Yeah, and my, one of the, the favorite quotes that I have, I think everybody has a favorite, has a favorite, quote, but what, favorite quote, but what mine is is that somewhere something incredible is waiting to be known. Yes. That's really a great one. I, I personally like the... Uh, um, uh, extraordinary claim requires extraordinary evidence. That's yeah. one of my. That's my favorite from. Yeah. Do you have one on, on tap, or did I hit you too quick to come up with one? A blank. <laughs> if you come up with one later, feel free to jump in. I will. Okay. And that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up. This day in history, the last one for 2015. Thank you so much, Nancy, one more time for this great informative, informative <laughs> segment. And we'll be right back right after this. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Center. Please visit our website for more details, bchumanist.ca. Just because it's Christmas doesn't mean we need the boring old music, huh? Remember that song? I do, I do. Run DMT. Yep. 1987. When rap and hip-hop was good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we get a special treat for everybody today. Uh, since our friend The Reformed is here in studio with us, he's actually going to do one live. Are you ready to go, bud? Ooh, I'm ready. Let's set, set you up. Thank you very much. I really like the fact that I'm actually here in the flesh. I get to be a part of this. It's kind of cool. Um, bit of a long report because I haven't done one for so long, so bear with me. The news and uh, stuff from around the valley. Um, okay, so over the last uh, couple of months, members of the local Kingdom Hall have taken up residence outside the historic telephone building in Chilliwack. And I was kind of curious about this because it seems to have become a daily activity. And as anybody who knows anything about the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they have to tithe some of their time to distribution and outreach. So me being a, a, a disturber, with another word in front of it, um, <laughs> I decided to have a look at the local bylaws and contact the bylaw office in Chilliwack to find out, just if make sure that these religious individuals were not breaking any bylaw rules. And I got a really interesting email back from the bylaw office. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, and I've never done this off my computer before, so you're going to have to bear with me. There are no bylaws that restrict a person from utilizing a public space for the purpose of providing information or distributing materials. 
The Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms protects this right through the freedom of speech and the freedom of expression. However, utilizing public spaces for the purposes of conducting business, i.e. to sell goods, is not permitted unless a valid business license is in place and permission has been given to the local, uh, been given permission to be located on public property. Furthermore, although people are permitted to hold signs and distribute materials, placing items on public property may not be permitted. Officers will monitor the activities in the area to determine if this group is in compliance with the City of Chilliwack bylaws. So, you know, it, it, it was an answer, and the fact that they are aware of the fact that, you know, I, I just want to know if they're following the rules. Yeah. And the, reason, that. and the reason why I kind of uh, went this route was because um, the uh, on October 17th, the Satanic Temple in Seattle uh, visited the entrance to the Westlake Transit Tunnel uh, down in the, the heart of Seattle. Nancy will know this. Uh, or know where that is. Yeah, Nancy knows everything about the same. <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, I meant everything about Seattle. <laughs> so, but yeah, so the, the Satanic Temple down there, they took up station next to the Jehovah's Witnesses who were outside the transit station every day, and they handed out their own copies of religious uh, literature because it's their constitutional right. So, based on what the bylaw office said from Chilliwack, um, the Jehovah's Witnesses are protected under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and so um, I think it'd be kind of neat if you know maybe some of the atheist groups, maybe even the Satanic Temple, were to uh, maybe stand beside them outside the historic telephone building and hand out our own material. So it doesn't breach any any rights. Anyway, well, have you ever heard that old joke about the the guy who gets a pamphlet from an atheist? He says it's blank. He says, "Yeah, we're atheists." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we've thought about that in Abbotsford because there are um, right around the corner from where we meet on Sundays, there are two Jehovah Witnesses that um, have established that corner as their corner. And I think it would be interesting if uh, if we did in a in a very peaceful, respectful way to hand out hand out the literature and get a little dialogue going. That would be interesting. Absolutely. I think I think the dialogue that you would get from passers-by as well would be interesting because people are so used to seeing the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, there. Or, you know, if you see the white shirt and the black tie, you're like, oh, we know who those people are, right? You know, but so there is no face of, of humanism or atheism um, out there. I think it would, just be, it would be an interesting experiment. I think Jacqueline Glenn did that in the States somewhere where they, they were handing out information based on that and they were judging the reactions of people. And it, it was interesting. However, I have to add that you may be able to distribute a pamphlet on humanism, but I'm not sure you can distribute something on atheism, because atheism, after all, is just one answer to a question. It's not, it doesn't have tenets, it doesn't have a worldview or anything like that, right? Well, yeah, that, that's true, yeah. So I think that's where I find the Satanic Temple interesting, because their tenets um, are basically humanist. It's, it's deceiving. <laughs> yes, it is deceiving. Uh, anyway, uh, another piece of news. Um, Chilliwack uh, recently elected a new uh, school board trustee, um, I had reported in a previous edition that Martha Weens, uh, who is a longtime standing member of the board, had passed away, uh, and so they have uh, they've elected a new a new board trustee. Sorry, uh, his name is Bob Patterson. Bob Patterson used to be a, a, a principal, a teacher, and a principal in the school district. And you know, there's no real controversy around Bob, um, except for one thing he did during the campaign, and that was he uh, he shot promotional videos, but he shot them inside Mount Slessy middle school and he never received permission from the school district to shoot the videos and use them for promotional political promotional use so anyway so the uh, the reaction from the the school board whoever he was elected to was interesting um 
they actually ended up um, creating a whole new um, policy which states that uh, no one is allowed, the schools will not be used for any individual's municipal campaign or purposes. And uh, so when Bob Patterson was kind of asked about this, like, how do you feel about, you know, the fact that you kind of stepped on some toes of the people that you're being elected to? And he said, um, he said, it, 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 growing out of proportion, it seems to me like it's very petty politics. But I just thought it was interesting that he used his influence and his, um, his presence in the school district as a principal in the past as a, well, I can do this. It's public property. But it... It's just the bending of the rules just blows my mind. And that is Chilliwack School District down to a T. They just, they bend the rules however they want to, to use them. To accommodate them. Yeah, yeah. Um, other piece of news I have, um, and I won't go into too much detail, but um, the British Columbia Supreme Court ruled in favor of Trinity Western University's plans to open a law school. Uh, the decision overturned the previous decision by the Law Society of BC that removed their support for the proposed institution. Uh, controversy around the proposed law school has been around for a long time and um, you know it was something that went right across the whole of Canada Uh, among many things the the covenant which students have to sign when they join TWU says that sexual intimacy that violates the sacredness of marriage between a man and a woman uh, cannot be violated Uh, and that they only recognize marriage as being between a man and a woman they don't recognize same-sex marriage or same-sex couples Um, and the judge who made the judgment on this if I can um, no it's not working (laughs) this is great radio yeah it's perfect (laughs) this is why I don't like doing it um I've lost it you lost the judge I lost the judge anyway the judge basically said that um that the law society had no right to infringe upon the rights and freedoms of Trinity Western University, which brings us back to the first story about the Jehovah's Witnesses. Everything seems to be, you know, kind of marred up in this whole rights and freedoms thing, and uh, I think it's something that, as humanists, as atheists, um, or other religious groups need to really look at how the Christian right are using their charter of rights and freedoms for their own use, and we seem to be lagging behind. Yeah. Um, I, I think it will come down to a point at some point where we, we'll have to assign some um, a sliding scale of rights. You know, the rights to religion is important, but it's less important than the right to free speech and stuff like that. I think eventually our society is going to head that way. But that's my opinion. Yep, no, I agree. And actually, I've got the quote here. Uh, Judge Hitchens said, Even if I'm wrong and the benchers had the authority to delegate the members, I find the decision that was, that was made was made without proper consideration and balancing the charter of rights at issue. Therefore, it cannot stand. So, you know, it's... it's, it's I'd be interested to know what Judge Hinkins... Uh, what would they have to balance the, 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 the rights? I mean, this is asking the membership, and the membership disagreed. Yep. Uh, okay. Anyway, um, would you be, do us a favor and keep an eye on that? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. And finally, um, I had a, there was a post this morning on our website uh, from one of our members... Uh, about a DVD called Evolution Versus God that has been distributed throughout Chilliwack. And since this post came up, there's actually been a few more people said, yeah, I got one too. Uh, the DVD is actually from an out, uh, from the outside. It looks like it's a, an, a pro-Darwinian um, DVD. But the group who's actually uh, put it together and is presenting it is a group called Living Waters out of California. So far, I haven't seen any or found any link to any churches in Chilliwack, but I'm looking, and I just want to say if anybody out there in the listening world knows of the link, please email the show and let the reform know, and we will uh, we'll 
take it where it needs to go. Well, on the Living Waters uh, website, they are promoting this video like crazy, and they're selling them in bulk to anybody that wants them for a couple of dollars each. And they also have it, uh, you can watch it on, on that Living Waters uh, website. So maybe they're reaching out to various churches in various cities to promote the video, uh, the video and that's how it's getting distributed. I have no idea, though, you know, what the, what the real link is. The, the access that, that churches have, and this is something that I've always been uh, fascinated by, is the access that churches have to um, outreach material. Um, when I was a kid, I used to do outreach with my with my grandfather. We used to go door to door, and he used to hand out tracks, and he used to make the tracks himself. Um, you talk about the chick track? Uh, no, no, this is the days before chick tracks, uh, and this was also in the UK, so we didn't have, well, we had chick tracks out there, but they weren't very popular. They were more USA kind of, you mm, know, yeah. It's an American thing. American right-wing nutter stuff. But anyway. (laughs) Tell us how you really feel. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so, you know, and that's the thing is that you have these um, large corporations like Living Waters or you have Focus on the Family or you have, um, you know, just these large bodies, Grace to You, which is out of California as well. And there is so much money behind them that they're able to make these materials available for easy distribution. And yeah, it's, it's scary, but it's also, you know, it kind of shows that you know i don't know maybe there's there's room for 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 the humanist movement and this is where i get my militant hat on um to kind of step up and say okay you know we need to get our we need to get our our shit organized we need to be able to to get you know the satanic temple they have tracks i haven't seen any in canada yet um i know there are brochures with the with the bc humanists um you know and maybe getting some of those in bulk and being able to you know Hand them out. It's our constitutional right. Well, we'll talk about it because uh, in the new year we'll actually have uh, Ian Bushfeld from uh, the BC Humanists. So hopefully you'll be able to join us as well and we can ask him in person. That'd be great. That'd be great. Anyway, that's all I have for the Reformation Report and thanks for letting me be a part of the show. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you for Come being back. here. Come back. <laughs> Many <will>. times. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on. Ah, uh, Well, like I said, it's the last show of the year, so we have another... Another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. The wacky world of religion, one more time before the years end. I've got some interesting stories I want your, uh, your impressions on. This is from uh, addictinginfo.com. Now, we all know that the, this time of year can be difficult for a lot of people, especially if you're homeless. So if you're homeless in the winter, life can be tough. But in Williamsburg, Kentucky, it became, they just became a lot tougher, especially if you're a female. For those who don't have anywhere else to go, the Emergency Christian Ministries Homeless Shelter is the only place in town, and it just became a man-only establishment. <laughs> Why would this happen? Well, the director, Billy Woodward, said that he decided to kick out about 10 to 12 women out of the shelter based on the Bible. Surprise, surprise. He claims that the people at the shelter were having sex, although he provides no evidence of that at all. The shelter previously had both men and women dorms, but Woodward said he made the decision to kick the women out because some people may or may not have been engaging in the devil's business. The decision to throw the women and female children out of the street just before the holidays was made two weeks ago, and he, he justifies this with the Bible. I don't know what... It, Quote, he says, I don't know if what's happening uh, is a whole, because they don't know it's a man and women's shelter, they say, well, we're homeless. I can't make sense of what the guys say. 
<laughs> maybe we can find maybe we can find somebody a mate or something. He explained, adding to that that if it's done right, they'd be fine and they get they go overboard with it. Woodward did not explain how they could have done it right. Woodward did not explain how they could, they could have done it right, but he does not. He does know that God doesn't want him to rescue women and girls from dire circumstances because they might use their vaginas for evil. Ask if he could accept children. Woodward said, "Right now, no, because of the female factor." He says that they will—he will accept both boys and their fathers. However, because they have penises, those <laughs> evil vaginas. So, how does he explain how he got to this world in the first place? Hey, the Bible's, the Bible's very poor. Man, I mean, right? you know, since the vagina is so evil, and you know, just <laughs> follow that. Thought. No, 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 we don't need to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Uh, so, it's un- I mean, it's just, it's totally unbelievable how people can justify their beliefs and their prejudices. You know, to, to, in, the, in the middle of winter to keep women and, and girls out because yeah. they're spawned from evil. Oh, my. <laughs> they're, they're evil vaginas and our freezing, evil, freezing, evil, freezing fannies. Evil. <laughs> you did follow the thought, see? Uh, Apparently sorry. last year, on, under about 38%, which is just about under half of the people house of the shelter were oh. women. So, uh, he, of course, he basically says that uh, his decision was based on the Bible because he claims that what was happening was sinful. So this guy essentially thinks that they're having hanky-panky between the homeless, <laughs> and that's good enough reason to kick the women out. They're keeping warm. Bunny <laughs> heat. <laughs> okay. I, I hope if he was getting funding, they yanked the funding immediately. And, oh, it's, you know. it's private funding from a church, I guess. So, oh. so they're not. <laughs> All right. Another nice little story. This one I titled, Star Wars is Racist Because Jesus. Now, the story goes, Northern Exposure actress Janine Turner asserted on Fox News Business... Uh, Fox Business News on Monday that Darth Vader costume was black because Star Wars movie were based on the Bible. <laughs> Over the weekend, MSNBC host Melissa Harris Perry has suggested there was a racial component to Darth Vader's character because he was dressed in black and voiced by a black man. But after the character turned away from the dark side, Darth Vader was revealed to be a white man when he removed the mask. <laughs> You can't make this up. You just can't make this up. This was the girl from Northern Exposure? (laughs) Yes. Which one was that? Oh, I don't know. I'm afraid I don't know what the... (laughs) (laughs) You just can't make this stuff up. Oh, oh, boy. I... I... I, Okay. Star Wars was just released. We just did a little thing about Star Wars. We talked about it. Anybody want to mention something about this? What's it? I'm, I'm trying to think. Going back, I don't know. I don't know whether it was Huckabee or Robertson, but way back when they had the children's show that had these little alien, cute little space uh, creatures. Yeah, that he said they um, they had to be uh, taken off gay. the air because the the purple one was gay. I mean, this fits. You know, this is a d- direct descendant of that type of. Of thinking, unbelievable! Unbelievable that somebody would be that moronic to understand. Oh, yeah, James Earl Jones is a black man. He was just a voice. The actor was always—I forget the name of the actor that played Darth Vader. Was always white, and it's not because he had a black costume. All of a sudden, that I don't know what to do with this. And this is this is 
what's going on in those days, right? <laughs> I mean, to, you know, to, it's such a stretch. I mean, to, to think of the convoluted thought process you have to have to go from one to the other. Oh, it, it's a it's a huge. Stretch. It makes for good conversation on our show. I think that's probably the best <laughs> the best benefit that there is. We we get lots to talk about. <laughs> oh my God! It was um, Fox News, right? Yeah, of course it's Fox News. That. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, we're going to keep going with the uh, uh, news, but uh, this time it's not so much religious news. It's more environmental. So I know you'll be interested because this is things that make you go. Last one of the year as well. Okay. There's a town meeting in Woodland, North Carolina. And they heard public comments on a proposed solar farm in which citizens, including a retired science teacher called Jane Mann, spoke out against the proposal. Okay. This, this, this gets really good. Miss Mann opposes solar expansion because she believes it would lower the property values. Maybe has a point to it. I don't think so. She also said that the plants near the solar farms do not thrive because there wasn't enough sunshine left over for them to photosynthesize. In other words, the solar power, the solar panels are going to drain the sun. <laughs> and this, this is this is really happening. This is happening at a council, right? And oh my god, she's she also <laughs> evinced the belief that solar panels will cause cancer. Her husband added that the solar panels suck up all the energy from the sun, and the town council voted a moratorium on all future solar farms. <laughs> amazing, absolutely amazing. I know. Didn't they? Didn't she point out, or either she or her husband or somebody pointed out that around houses where they have solar panels, there's a lot of brown grass, and that's that's a proof oh that the God. sun is <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the panels are soaking up all of the sun, and it's not getting to. To feed the plants. This, this is scary because not only she's a science teacher, so this is scary. Doesn't this woman realize that the sun is actually bigger than that little <laughs> circle you see in the sky? You know, <sighs> how can you possibly think something like that? It's outrageous. I'm I'm actually lost for words. She's a science teacher. Uh, you know, some be- stupid. You can't fix stupid. No, no, <laughs> so you, can't, you just can't fix stupid. <laughs> I totally agree. No, but the fact that the other members of council actually believed her so that they put a moratorium, that's even worse. I know. I mean, she's entitled to say whatever quirky thing she wants to say, but if they take her seriously, that's the problem. Yeah, I always had a problem with that. You know, the, uh, like uh, same thing with the people that oppose wind farms because they say, oh, it's ugly. Have you ever seen a field full of oil pump jacks? <laughs> yeah. Trust me, that's ugly. Yeah. You know? I'll, I'll bring in the wind farms or the solar panels anytime. You know, it's like, oh yeah, you can't bring in the wind farm because it might kill birds. Really? Oh, you know, yeah, at, I've heard at, that before. At the speed those blades are turning, if you're a bird and you get hit by one of those, you deserve to die. That's all natural selection at there, that point. There are actually more birds that die from hitting skyscrapers in main cities than have ever been killed by wind farm. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Perfect. That's a fact. Don't ask me where it's come from, but it's a fact. <laughs> and you can trust me because I'm not a science teacher. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, today we were, to- we're, since we're doing a Christmas special, I wanted to talk about um, everybody celebrates Christmas, but let's talk about the origins of Christmas. So let's do that. All right. So this is Christmas. How did Christmas come to be celebrated on December 25th? 
Here's a little history lesson. Let's not forget. The Roman pagans first introduced the holiday of Saturnalia. It was a week-long period of lawlessness celebrated between December 17th and the 25th. During that period, Roman courts they were, uh, were closed and Roman law dictated that no one could be punished for damaging property or injuring people during the week-long celebration. So it was one hell of a party. The festival began when Roman authorities chose an enemy of the Roman people to represent the Lord of Misrule. Each Roman community selected a victim whom they forced to indulge in food and other physical pleasure throughout the week. So they kind of pick one person and say, okay, you're, you're kind of like the scapegoat. We're, you're just going to party really, really hard for that whole week. So you're going to eat and you're going to fornicate and you're not done. At the festival's conclusion, which was December 25th, the Roman authorities believed that they were destroying the forces of darkness by brutally murdering this innocent man or woman. So this is exactly scapegoating, you know. You're going to party hardy, we're going to kill you, and it's going to please the God, and we're going to be saved from sin in some ways. The ancient Greek writer and poet historian Lucian, in his dialogue entitled Saturnalia, describes the festival's observance in his time. In addition to human sacrifice, oops, human sacrifice, he mentioned the, the customs widespread intoxication, going from house to house while singing naked, rape and other sexual license, and consuming human-shaped biscuits which apparently is still produced in some English and some German bakeries during the Christmas season today. In the 4th century CE, Christianity imported the Saturnalia festival, hoping to take the pagan masses with it. Now, we've seen before, just like with Halloween, Christians do that. You know, they, they adopt it, they just call it their own, and then they say, we invented it. Um, Christians' leaders succeeded in converting to Christianity large numbers of pagan by promising them that they could continue to celebrate the Saturnalia as Christians. So they essentially lied. <laughs> the problem was that there was nothing in intrinsically Christian about Saturnalia. To remedy this, these Christians' leaders named Saturnalia concluding day, December 25th, to be Jesus' birthday. Aww. Christians had little success, however, refining the practices of Saturnalia. As uh, Stephen Nissenbaum, professor of history of the, of the University of Massachusetts, writes, in return for ensuring massive observance of the anniversary of the Savior's birth by assigning uh, by assigning to this resonant date, the church as for its part, tactically agreed to allow the holiday to be celebrated more or less the way that it has always been. The earliest Christians' holidays were celebrated by drinking, sexual indulgence, singing naked in the street, which apparently they think today was a precursor of modern caroling. That's very interesting too. Except nobody does it naked today. Thank God. <laughs> Darn it. So <laughs> the reverend masses, uh, the re no, sorry, the reverend increase Mather of Boston observed in 1687 that the early Christians who first observed the nativity on December 25th did not do so thinking that Christ was born in that month. But because the heathen Saturnalia was at that time kept in Rome and they were willing to have those pagan holidays metamorphosed into Christian ones. Because of this uh, known pagan origin, Christmas was banned by the Puritans and his observance was illegal in Massachusetts between 1659 and 1681. There was no Christmas in the United States at that point. However, Christmas was still, was and still is celebrated by most Christians. 
Some of the most depraved customs of the Saturnalia Carnival were intentionally revived by the Catholic Church in 1466 when Pope Paul II, for the amusement of his Roman citizens, would force Jews to race naked through the, the streets of the city. Great Pope, huh? Uh, an eyewitness account reports, before they were to run, the Jews were f uh, richly fed so as to make the race more difficult for them and at the same time more amusing for spectators. They ran amidst Rome taunting shrieks and peals of laughter while the Holy Father stood upon a richly ornamented balcony and laughed. As part of the Saturnalia Carnival throughout the 18th and 19th century, rabbis of the ghetto of Rome were forced to wear clownish outfits and march through the city streets in the jeers of the crowd, pelted by a variety of missiles. When the Jewish community of Rome sent a petition in 1836 to Pope Gregory XVI, begging him to stop the annual Saturnalia new abuse of the Jewish community, he responded, It is not op opportune to make any innovation. On December 25, 1881, Christian leaders whipped the Polish masses into anti-Semitic anti frenzies that led to riots across the countries. In Warsaw, 12 Jews were brutally murdered, huge numbers maimed, and many Jewish women were raped. Two million rubles worth of property was destroyed. Now, you know, everybody that says Judeo-Christian origins, my ass. <laughs> I'm sorry, okay, because this is, this is not like... Uh, 500, uh, in 580, this is uh, 1886, 1881. Interesting how that's been scrubbed from uh, the history of uh, Christmas. In a... Exactly. Now, you might want to wonder why, how, how the, uh, the, the Christians figured out, bef just before the Saturnalia thing, why would they, they would put, how they would justify Christmas birth, uh, Christ's birth on the, the 25th. Um, so the, the myth puts his birth on December 25th in the year 1 CE. Um, the New Testament gives no date or year for Jesus' birth. The earliest gospel, which is St. Mark's, as we all know, was written about 65 to 70 CE, and it begins with the baptism of an adult Jesus. This suggests that the earliest Christian lacked interest or knowledge in Jesus' birthday. The year or of Jesus' birth was determined by Dionysius Exegus, a Scythian monk, monk, abbot of the Roman monastery. His calculation was as follows. In the Roman pre-Christian era, years, years were counted from Ab Ub Condita, which is the founding of the city of Rome in Latin. Thus, 1, the year 1 AUC instead of CE, you know, signifies the year Rome was founded. And the year 5 AUC signifies the fifth year of Rome's reign, etc., etc. Dionysus received the tradition that the Roman emperor Augustus reigned for 43 years and was followed by the emperor Tiberius. In Luke, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 1 and 23, uh, it indicates that when Jesus turned 30 years old, it was the 15th year of the, uh, well, the, 15th year of the, the, the reign of Tiberius. If Jesus was 30 years old in Tiberius' reign and he lived 15 years under Augustus, placing Jesus' birth in Augustus' 28th year of reign, Augustus took power in 727 AUC. Therefore, Dionysus put Jesus' birth around 754 AUC. However, Luke 1.5 places Jesus' birth in the days of Herod, and Herod died in 750 AUC, four years before the year in which Dionysus places Jesus' birth. Joseph A. Fitzmuir, Professor Emeritus of Biblical Studies at Catholic University of America, member of the Pontifical Biblical Commission and former president of the Catholic Biblical Association, <gasps> writing in the Catholic Church official commentary of the New Testaments, write about the date of Jesus' birth, 
through the year of Jesus' birth is not reckoned with certainty. The birth did not occur in 1 AD. The Christian era, supposed to have started at the point in the year of Jesus' birth, is based on the miscalculation introduced by Dionysus Exigius. So in other words, they don't really know. If Jesus, well, first of all, we don't even know if Jesus was real to begin with, but they kind of screwed up. So it just became kind of convenient, and the gospel can't really collaborate or agree as to when. That that's that's a theme right through all the gospels. Is there's no there's no there's no collaboration. There's no agreement on anything really. It's and you know there's books by um, uh, by Bar Ehrman, uh, Professor Bar Ehrman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he goes through the whole you know the different gospels and when they were written and how they were written and the fact that most of these gospels were written many 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 years after the apparent you know uh, presence of Jesus on the earth and so they had to go back and fill in the gaps and fill in the holes and so that everything kind of looks like there was consistency but yeah yeah it's isn't. it's totally how it reads right it reads you know it reads as in we've got these we got to make this fit to the prophecies of the old testament that's totally how the bible reads but on something better than that we also have the origins of santa claus connie you want to take that I will take the origins of Santa Claus. Uh, but first of all, in German, we say Goa Weihnachten. So I wish you guys all a Goa Weihnachten. And the is... same to you. Goa <laughs> <laughs> Weihnachten. Okay. Goa Weihnachten. Goa? Goa. 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 Goa Weihnachten. Weihnachten. Okay. My German is very poor. <laughs> and then you're supposed to go Danke. 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 Not, not Danke, Danke. Oh. Danke schön. Danke schön. Okay. German lesson for another show. <laughs> <laughs> no? Perhaps. Fair enough. <laughs> we should do that. Okay, so I've got actually a bunch of information here, but I'll make it uh, fun and short and sweet. Uh, the Legend of Santa Claus. Uh, the Legend of Santa Claus can be traced back hundreds of years to a monk named St. Nicholas. It is believed that Nicholas was born sometime around 280 AD in Patera near Myra in modern day Turkey. Much admired for his piety and kindness, St. Nicholas became the subject of many legends. It is said that he gave away all of his inherited wealth and traveled the countryside, helping the poor and sick. Um, one of his best, one of the best-known Saint Nicholas stories is that he saved three poor sisters from being sold into slavery or prostitution by their father by providing them with a dowry so that they could be married. Over a course of many years, Nicholas's popularity spread, and, be- and he became the known as the protector of children and sailors. His feet sailors sailors. I'll read okay. that part. Oh, I've got information on that. Okay. <laughs> um, his feast day is celebrated on the anniversary of his death, December 6th. Uh, this was traditionally considered a lucky day to make large purchases or to get married. By the Renaissance, St. Nicholas was the most popular saint in Europe. Even after the Protestant Reformation, when the veneration of saints began to be discouraged, St. Nicholas maintained a positive reputation, especially in Holland. Now, coming back, coming from European upbringing, uh, we celebrated on December 6th. We had little boots that we stuck outside our bedroom doors. And if you were good, you received candy. If you were bad, in the morning you had uh, a booty full of coal. So that's actually traditionally the, the day, first day of Christmas in, in European culture. Really? That's interesting. Um, yeah, here, actually, here's some information. On St. Nicholas Day is celebrated on December 6th in Germany, as well as other... Oh, jeez. Neighbors are out. Okay. Uh, again, St. Nicholas Day is celebrated on December 6th in Germany, as well as in other European countries. On the evening before the 6th, children place their newly cleaned shoes in front of the door in hope that Nicholas might fill them with nuts, fruits, chocolate, and sweets. If the children have behaved well, 
their wishes will be fulfilled. Children who have called, caused mischief will receive only a switch, which symbolizes punishments for their bad deeds. When you say a switch, you mean like the like, yeah, like the old tree branch it would oh really yeah. you receive a switch <laughs> you got a switch now let me beat you up with it so that was saint <laughs> nicholas um going now to uh, father christmas father christmas dates back um as far as the 16th century in england during the reign of henry the eighth when he was pictured as a large man in green or scarlet robes lined with fur he typified the spirit of good cheer at christmas bringing peace joy good fortune food wine um, as England no longer kept the feast day of St. Nicholas on the 6th of December, the Father Christmas celebration was moved to December 25th to coincide with Christmas Day. Um, Pre-modern uh, representations of the gift giver from church history and folklore, notably St. Nicholas, merged with the English character Father Christmas to create the character known to Americans and the rest of the English-speaking world as Santa Claus. Um, Santa Claus has been described as a positive male cultural icon. Uh, Santa, this is actually a quote that I found, Santa is really the only cultural, cultural icon we have whose male does not carry a gun and is all about peace, joy, giving, and caring for other people. That's part of the magic, especially in a culture where we've become so commercialized and hooked into manufactured icons. Santa is much more organic, integral, connected to the past, and therefore connected to the future. Well, the right wing's going to have to get rid of him when they get him. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing they're going to do. The NRA has got him targeted. <laughs> that, was, that was a heck of a point, though. You know, it's, it is the only male figure that we know that's not like talking and, you know, machine gun and, you know. I thought it was kind of nice, especially with kids, yeah. kids these days, that nothing is, is sacred, nothing is precious anymore. So even if you don't believe, and I know kids are beginning to believe less and less at an early age, to still have that, that figure there, that he's not filled with brutality and, and meanness, it's, it's something to hold on to. So It is kind, kind kindness is, um, it, it's not as prevalent as it, it used to no, be, so no. we, we need reminders of that for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to read the story again one more time about St. Nicholas. And By all has, means, go for it. Okay, and this one actually has the story about how the sailors, which, which you were asking about. Um, I'll try to be fast and not bore you. No, no it's okay. Um, Take your time. Uh, St. Nicholas was... It's the holidays. Bi- the Relax. St. <laughs> uh, Nicholas was a bishop who lived in the 4th century AD in a place called Myra in Asia Minor, now called Turkey. He was a very rich man because his parents died when he was young and left him a lot of money. He was also a very kind man and had a reputation for helping the poor and giving secret gifts to people who needed it. There are several legends about St. Nicholas, although we don't know if any of them are true. The most famous story about St. Nicholas tells how the custom of hanging up stockings to get presents first started. It goes like this. There was a poor man who had three daughters. He was so poor that he did not have enough money for a dowry, so his daughters couldn't get married. One night, Nicholas secretly popped, dropped a bag of gold down the chimney and into the house. This meant that the oldest daughter was then able to be married. The bag fell into a stocking that had been hung by the fire to dry. This was repeated later with the second daughter. Finally, determined to discover the person who had given him the money, the father secretly hid by the fire every evening until he caught Nicholas dropping in a bag of gold. Nicholas begged the man not to tell anyone what he had done because he did not want to bring attention to himself. But soon the news got out and when, when anyone received a secret gift, it was thought it was from Nicholas. Because of his kindness, Nicholas was made a saint. Saint Nicholas is not only the saint of children, but of sailors. One story tells of him helping some sailors that were caught in a dreadful storm off the coast of Turkey. 
The storm was raging around them and all the men were terrified that their ship would sink beneath giant waves. They prayed to St. Nicholas to help them. Suddenly he was standing on the deck before them. He ordered the sea to be calm, the storm died away, and they were able to sell their, their ship safely to port. St. Nicholas was exiled from Myra and later put in prison during the persecution by the emperor. No one really knows when he died, but it was on the 6th of December in either 345 or 352 AD. In 1087, his bones were stolen from Turkey by some Italian merchant sailors. The bones are now kept in the church named after him in the Italian port of Barry. On St. Nicholas' feast day, the 6th of December, the sailors of Barry still carry his statue from the cathedral out to sea so that he can bless the waters and give them safe voyages throughout the year. Wow, I had no idea. I had no idea they still have, well, the supposed bones of the man. It's kind pretty of a cool. cool story. It is a cool story. I like that. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? It's uh, it's heartwarming. Oh, two more things, two more things. Two more oh, of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you give me a topic, I have to research. Go for it, go for it. Um, so I found this about the shopping mall Santa's, how it all began. Uh, gift giving, mainly centered around children, has been an important part of the Christ Christmas celebration since the holiday's rejuvenation in the early 19th century. Stores began to advertise Christmas shopping in 1820, and by the 1840s, newspapers were creating separate sections for holiday advertisements, which often featured images of the newly popular Santa Claus. In 1841, thousands of children visited a Philadelphia shop to see a life-size Santa Claus model. Santa Claus model. It was only a matter of time before stores began to attract children and their parents with the lure of a peek at the live Santa Claus. In the early 1890s, the Salvation Army needed money to pay for the free Christmas meals they provided to needy families. They began dressing up unemployed men in Santa Claus suits and sending them into the streets of New York to solicit donations. Those familiar Salvation Army Santas have been ringing bells on the street corners of cities ever since. Mm, interesting indeed. Thought that was kind of cool. Although the the uh, the current image that we have of Santa Claus was actually manufactured by Coca Cola. Oh, I saw that. The red, I read the that red too. suit and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the original, uh, and uh, it varies also from uh, from uh, country to country. I believe in Russia. In Russia, I believe he's wearing blue, and uh, I think don't call me on this, but I think in Japan, he's actually called annual gift man, and he actually lives on the moon. So it really varies from culture to culture. It does. I think Santa, Santa Claus, uh, the modern um, uh, image of Santa Claus, I think also comes from the uh, Night Before Christmas poem. Who was it that wrote the Night Before Christmas? Probably. It's a good question. Yeah. I, I forget who I wrote for, the poem. Everybody told, knows the poem. Everybody's familiar with yeah, it. Yeah, but I think the illustrations uh, for the Night Before Christmas probably had a lot to do with, the, you know, um, how, how um, Coca-Cola portrays Santa Claus yeah. as well. What in the world is his name? Isn't that we're all a blank? Um, I read it too when I was reading all this. I know. Okay, well, all, you, know. all right, I'll look it up while you guys talk about. Do you guys have any uh, tradition or anything like that you guys like to share? No, but I've decided in, in, in all of this that the reason atheists and humanists don't have good holidays. It's because we don't have good colors, you know. <laughs> I mean, you think about it. That's you know, Christmas is red and green, and then Halloween is orange and black, and and Easter is all the pastel. Where's the Darwin Day colors? You know, all we have is a pale blue dot that's connected with <laughs> Carl Sagan. If we just had better colors, we'd have better atheist and humanist holidays that we could celebrate. We've got to figure out something other than a pale 
<laughs> and a pale blue dot. <laughs> so there. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Would it be uh, Clement Clark Moore? Oh, that's what I read. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking yeah. Samuel Clemens, and I'm thinking, no, no, that's yeah. not that's right. Mark but the Twain. Clemens, yeah, the Clemens kept coming back in my mind. Well, I don't know about you guys, but uh, being French Canadian myself, Christmas was uh, different. Um, it took me a while, and even to this day, I still, I'm, I'm still never used to the idea of going to bed and waking up on the 25th and opening your gifts for the kids. I we never did that. We never did that either. No, no. Uh, for us, it was called uh, in French. It was called le réveillon. Which is uh, partially, uh, basically means waking up, right? And uh, the kids would go to bed early, and uh, the parents would, uh, of course, set the tree and all that, and and, and the gifts, and they wake up the kids around midnight. So Santa just went by, right? They just missed him. So you would come downstairs, and you would open the gifts around midnight on the 24th. Well, from the 24th to the 25th. Of course, the parents would let the kids play with them for a while, and... uh, then they would have a fe- they would have a feast like like somewhere around two three o'clock in the morning you'd have like a huge Christmas dinner uh, that late in the night and you would eat for quite a while and of course you'd let the kids go play again and by six o'clock in the morning everybody's like dead tired <laughs> you're going back to bed you're going back to bed and th- that was essentially what we did and it's kind of funny that <laughs> we were talking about Star Wars at the beginning of the show because. The, 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 the memory of the Réveillon that we did was exactly that when I was a kid and I was opening up and that's what I had received from Santa a whole bunch of Star Wars figurines from the original way back then and God I wish I'd kept those because they're <laughs> worth a fortune today oh, yeah. absolutely anything else you guys would like to share? well I was a little Jewish kid I'm still a little Jewish kid I'm just older <laughs> but as a little Jewish kid growing up in Chicago my parents wanted to blend in and although we celebrated or observed in Jewish holidays you don't celebrate most of the time but you observe but you do celebrate Hanukkah and the eight nights and then everybody gets presents eight, um, the eight days of Hanukkah as well but because my parents were mostly secular we always had Christmas so sometimes we they would put a tree up at night where I couldn't see it. You know, I'd come down and it was like a miracle because it hadn't been there the night before. But I remember as a little kid um, in an apartment building in Chicago, swearing that I heard Santa Claus on the road. You'd hear, you'd go to sleep and you'd you'd hear the noises. So I pretty well grew up with Christmas. And back in the, in the forties and the fifties, there wasn't as much objection to Christmas. Care carols being sung in the schools as there are now. Not I became it, right? No, I, I became, <laughs> no. So I became aware, you know, that uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing wasn't anything that, you know, they would sing on, uh, you know, Friday night in Temple, but there, there wasn't a big deal. It was more, you blend in, that's what school was, and then you had whatever religious observances you had out, outside of school. So I have really very pleasant memories of, uh, of Christmas, and then uh, there was a lot of intermarriage in our family, so we always had Christmas rather than, rather than, than Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although you think, you know, Hanukkah seems <laughs> you got eight crazy nights like this, right? It seems better than just one night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's great because, you know, my kids got to the point they wanted to have both because then they could have <laughs> more presents. <laughs> the heck with religion, we want the presents. <laughs> now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Nancy, because uh, we, I didn't do any research, but off the top of my head, Hanukkah, uh, they call it the Festival of Light because it's the festival where they only had oil to light up 
uh, a special Jewish lamp, which kind of signifies right, the president. The temple, when they took the temple back, they only had, they thought they only had yeah, enough well, for, for one night. And that's supposed to signify the presence of God, right? Yeah, that, that's right. It was it was a miracle that, that occurred. And so Jews are, are really um, tied to history, the pride of being Jewish yeah. and how all the, the chosen people, although the standard joke is, please let them choose somebody else, <laughs> you know, consider. <laughs> considering all the show, everything that we've gone through in our history, but yeah, it is. And the menorah, uh, you light the 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 one candle um, the, the first night, and then that candle, you light all of the others from that one candle, and that's the one God. So yeah, that's basically what it is. When so, I was, um... in fact, when I came, it was so funny, Kevin, because when I came in today, I saw the blue and white cookies, and I thought, "Oh, how nice! Kevin's having Hanukkah cookies." And then I realized, no, <laughs> the R two D two cookies. It was R two D two cookies. Hey, that's okay. The want to be Jewish cookies, that's fine too. Well, Maybe R two D two is Jewish. Who knows? That's what I was going to say. R two D two could be Jewish. They're, why no, not? They're Jewish R two D two cookies. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, uh, when I was growing up, we moved from uh, Canada to Scotland um, when I was probably about six years old. And that's when Christmas really kind of kicked in for me. Because I remember we lived with my grandparents for about six months. And uh, it, was, it, it was, they had snow on the ground. And my, my grandfather had went out sometime between midnight and whatever. And he actually, in the back their back garden, he actually made what looked like two sled trails. Oh, yes. And then boot marks. And so when we got up, it was like, oh, Santa was really here. And I remember my sister always saying that she swore she heard Santa on the roof. Because in those days, it was old coal miner houses or coal miner rows. So they all had chimneys. So it was completely plausible that Santa had landed in the backyard and, or back garden. And uh, yeah, but for me, Christmas was, it was always um, about the family coming together. We, we always went to church the night on, on Christmas Eve. And, you know, we sang Christmas carols and someone gave a, a sermon because we were Protestant evangelicals and um but then christmas day was you know you get up you have your presents but then when i as i grew up in scotland i had like tons of cousins and we would all get together in one person's house so you have like 20 or you know 20 odd 30 people all in this one house and there were small houses but it was just eating and you know drinking and just having fun and there was always singing because my family are all singers so you'd everybody you know the guitars would come out the the, the keyboard the the harpsichord like everything would just come out and we'd spend hours singing and i actually miss that because all my family are still over in scotland well, if you want to start singing right now go for it no you're, you're okay <laughs> you would lose listeners big time but yeah so that that for me was always was always christmas and when that ended as everybody got older and and those kind of the intergenerational uh, celebrations ended that's when Christmas kind of ended for me because it was just kind of like you know now it's for you know my kids it's for the kids yeah. you know yeah. it's not uh it's not about the family so that's that's my memories of Christmas it was always about families and just the one time when everybody got together. Huh. What about you, Connie? Um, okay. German origin should, should that should be interesting. Uh, so my dad from Austria he came to Canada when he was in his twenties. My mom was seven, uh, so by the time they had us kids. Um, they lost a lot of their European traditions and kind of incorporated the westernized Christmas traditions. Uh, we didn't do stockings on Christmas Eve to Christmas Day. We still did St. Nicholas Day on the 6th. So my brothers and I still had the filled socks or the filled booties the morning of the 6th. Um, we did Christmas on Christmas Eve. 
and Christmas Day. I think, if I, if I can remember correctly, maybe a couple presents from Santa Claus. But I think I didn't believe anymore for many, many years because we celebrate a Christmas different than all my Canadian friends. Mm. They, we didn't have the Christmas Day, the big, huge presents in the morning and waking up and see what's... We did ours Christmas Eve. And I was from Prince George and... Um, we did have Christmas for many years with my mom's sister, who's also in Prince George, with my cousins. But after a while, they kind of separated from us, and it was just us family of mom and dad and my two brothers and myself. So Christmas was huge, but it wasn't family, family, because we were in a smaller city, and we didn't have that much family with us. Now with my own kids, we have become even more so westernized. I did do December 6th with my kids for the first couple of years. I was about to ask, are you plan on keeping that tradition? We tried, but it gets harder because kids make, well, why do you celebrate Christmas on this day and not that day? Uh, so I tried to keep Santa Claus alive as much as possible. There were presents from mom and dad under the tree that they did on Christmas Eve. And Christmas Day, they come running into our room. Mom, Santa Claus was here. Now, <laughs> we kind of still do Christmas Day with the kids. They're teenagers. Christmas Eve, they get one present. And we try to do a family day. Like you said, the singing and the game playing and playing with the new toys. And we stay in our pajamas all day and watch movies. I cook dinner. and uh, But it's still it's it's fun. It's, it's just great fun. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you guys had all some fantastic stories to share. Well, I guess we're gonna. I'm gonna finish the show with my usual rant, but I'm not gonna put in the music because we have this lovely Christmas music going. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, another year comes to a close, and the holiday season is upon us. Now, it's bad enough that we atheists get a bad rap on a good day, but let me be clear to everyone out there: being an atheist doesn't mean you need to be a grouch on Christmas. We just saw that although claimed by Christians, the holiday now known as Christmas is far older and speaks of our desires. To let our hair down once in a while. Life is hard enough without us going over to war over every little delusion the apprentice of Jewish fairy tales tell themselves. Theirs is a desperate war to keep their dying mythology going. While we should focus on spreading goodwill, not because of the promises of a better afterlife, but because it's simply the right thing to do. And because we understand not just reality but history, and that we have a better chance of making it together. While religion seeks to divide, we should seek to embrace the differences in our neighbors. So let the Christians pull out their hair when you spell Christmas with an X, or chant to keep Christ in Christmas, or panic with the supposed war on Christmas. You already know better. It's akin to the tamper tantrum of a child that pulls when he or she doesn't get their favorite cereal. Eventually society will mature and embrace the true meaning of the holiday, a spirit of brotherhood where we stand shoulder to shoulder looking towards the future and not kneeling in fear hoping for a savior so on behalf of all of us here at left of the valley happy holidays dear friends and listeners go out there and be the best humanity has to offer merry christmas merry christmas to all guys i want to thank you so much for coming here tonight and uh revealing and sharing with me and with our listeners the spirit of christmas well said kevin Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, celebrate whatever you want to and party hardy. Yeah, good show, good show. So coming up uh, in the new year, we actually have an interview with Jeff D. of the uh, nonprofit. We, Like I said, we will be talking to Ian Bushfeld of the BC Humanist. Uh, we also have an interview with, uh, with Aaron of uh, the Center for Inquiry. Uh, we'll have our friend Peter Bogosian, and we'll also do a show on the science of magic. Should be fun. Sounds good. See you in the new year. See you in the new year. Health and wealth to all of you. And we'll leave you guys with a song, another song, Christmas song by U2.
Christmas, baby. Please come home. It's Christmas. Baby, please come home.